Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, another live stream this week, uh, this time discussing something important, especially for parents. But again, don't tune out if you're not a parent, as, as this is applying, I think, to so many people, and especially even me as a Christian school teacher of how to have good conversations uh, with students and especially our kids in the house. And so that's going to be the topic today of, you know, how do we train students? And one question that I often get is when I tell people that I teach apologetics and worldview and ethics to high schoolers, people are often surprised. High school? Really? You know, at that early, you know, shouldn't we wait till they're in college or something? It's like, no, this needs to start much sooner. In fact, you know, even junior high and elementary and maybe even sooner. And so that's going to be our topic as we discuss these important issues. And to join me is Natasha Crane. Natasha, thanks for coming on uh, my show to talk about uh, your work and teaching apologetics to students. Hey, Ryan, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, and one thing I forgot to do here really quick is Natasha, I was gonna give the introduction, but I realized the books are gonna come up here. So Natasha is the author of three incredible books. She came out with Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, 40 Conversations to Help uh, build a faith that lasts. And that's going to kind of be the topic today is how do we build a faith in our students? She then authored the book, Talking With Your Kids About God, 30 Conversations Every Christian Parent Must Have When It Comes to God. And now the newest book that we're going to talk about here is Talking With Your Kids About Jesus, 30 Conversations Every Christian Parent must have when it comes to Jesus. You know, Natasha is also a blogger, national speaker, done marketing and many other things has her certificate in apologetics from Biola. And so definitely excited to have you come on and to share your thoughts and just the work that you've done. And so Natasha, maybe just to start off here really quick, what got you into the world of apologetics and having conversations about God and Jesus um, with your kids? Is this something you've always been interested in? Uh, no, not really. I, I grew up in a Christian home and was a Christian all my life. But when my kids were little, i decided that I needed to really take my faith more seriously. And I wanted to really start thinking more about how we could raise our kids to know and love the Lord. And so when I, it was back in 2011, actually, it's been almost a decade now, uh, start a blog. And my kids were three and under at the time. I three kids, three and under at the time. And I just decided, you know, I'm going to start this blog and I'm going to kind of process things out loud here through the blog about what we're doing with our kids. Hopefully I can meet some other Christian parents in this process. And so I started writing and the blog took off and people started sharing my blog post and that started driving a lot of skeptics to my website. And to be honest, I can't look back and tell you exactly why, because I wasn't writing anything that was particularly provocative. I wouldn't have known yeah. how to get into those conversations <laughs> as it was. But for some reason, God was bringing these people to my site. And it really started getting me thinking about things I'd never thought of. They were asking me questions like, you know, how, why would you even believe that Jesus existed as a person in history or just making blanket statements like the Bible's filled with errors and contradictions and there's no evidence God exists, all the kinds of things that you hear. But I really hadn't heard them very much myself in my little bubble that I was in at the time. And so it really got me thinking about how different this world is that yeah. my kids were growing up in. And I went searching for answers. And that's when I discovered apologetics. So when I started my blog, which today is known for apologetics, I didn't even know what apologetics was. <laughs> didn't even, I didn't, hadn't even heard the word. So it's an interesting journey that God took me on. And as I discovered what apologetics was, I just fell in love with it because I'm a very analytical person by nature. So it kind of fit with my, my personality too. And I was shocked that I had never asked some of these questions myself, to be honest. And I think that's how a lot of kids are today, yeah. which is why we need to be pressing them so much. And so that really just got me into learning about apologetics. I did a ton of self-study, read lots of 
books. And then I turned my play, my blog into a place where I was teaching other parents about these things and saying, hey, this is the kind of stuff that people are saying about Christianity. Here's yeah. what you should understand so that you can then teach this to your kids. And eventually that led to me writing the books that you mentioned before. So now here I am having known nothing about <laughs> apologetics about a decade before, but that's that's where my blog headed. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned two things. One I've shared on the show before is that, you know, I talked to my dad about this and, you know, he talks about growing up in a small town in Texas and, you know, all of his friends were at the church and were at the school and the school was a church school and, you know, everything was built into this, you know, this community where you didn't see kind of these outside challenges and where now today you live in such a different culture where, you know, it does, you don't have to go far. I mean, every kid, you know, most kids are on social media of some sort and, and they're in schools and many different, you know, areas and playing sports and whatever it may be where they're interacting with people who have very different worldviews than them and people who are maybe trying to confront and challenge them in their views. And, you know, it's interesting you, you say that because when I started getting into my ministry, I had no idea what apologetics was either. In fact, my first ministry, you know, it was called Transition Ministry. And, and the idea was helping students transition well through life. And one thing they need is a foundation in what they believe and why they believe it. Um, and if you give them that, I think that they're going to transition better through life. Yet I had no idea that there is this world of apologetics that was teaching the why behind the what as well. So, you know, both kind of in that same situation, starting and not knowing what this is. Um, so you so obviously... what we're here to say is that we're both clueless, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the bottom line. <laughs> well, maybe, you know, I, no, and I think this is a good point of, you know, where I grew up in the church. I grew up in school and I think maybe it either went over my head or it wasn't being taught. I don't know, because, but I don't remember going into this information as a student in Christian school or growing up in the church. It was a lot of just like, here are the stories, here's what happened. And I knew the Bible stories and whatnot. And it wasn't until after even graduating with my degree in theology of learning about this world of apologetics, that there's good reasons for believing the things that we believe. I'm curious, do you kind of find the same thing as you travel and you speak across the country and you interact with a lot of parents? Uh, kind of where is the level of our parents' awareness and understanding of giving reasons and answering student questions? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think that by and large, people have had the same experience that you just described, which yeah. it was also my experience. I didn't go to a Christian school though, like you did, but I did grow up in church for a blog post that I wrote once. I actually calculated that I had spent, you know, at least I think 600 hours in church as a kid, but I never heard anything about evidence or yeah. why we should believe anything in particular. It was just here are facts, you know, here are the things that we believe as Christians and my family didn't push me on it. And so I didn't necessarily have these things just boil up for me either at home in order or in church. So I didn't know those things. Yeah. And so parents today, I find by and large, they've had that same experience. You know, sometimes I ask during a talk, how many of you have ever heard about the historical evidence for the resurrection in church today, just talking about today's churches, maybe three people, yeah. <laughs> maybe four somewhere in that range will say, yes, this is something that I've heard about in my church. So this is not just a problem of a few decades ago yeah. uh, or a couple decades ago. I know you're younger than I am, but this is something that is still the case today, that by and large churches have not caught up to this whole need to educate believers on yeah. why there's good reason to believe what we do. So yeah. yeah, I definitely find this across the country and talking to parents. And even though they do seem 
seem to be very aware that this world is becoming increasingly challenging. When you follow up with the question, this is often how I start my talks, how many of you realize the world's becoming an increasingly secular place that will challenge your kids' faith? Everyone, 100% of the audience will raise their hand. But then when I say, now if we go to the next step of saying, how many of you feel confident that you know specifically mm -hmm. what the key faith challenges are today and how to effectively talk with your kids about them, maybe a hand. Yeah. A lot of times zero hands. So there's this gap, and that's really where my passion lies as a writer and speaker now is to help parents to close that. Yes, they know there's a problem today. Yes, they know it's challenging, but they still don't know exactly what those challenges are. Yeah. So what would you say then, you know, because I found the same thing, and, you know, someone just messaged me the other day saying that uh, their Easter service, their Easter Sunday service, the pastor, you know, talking about the resurrection of Jesus actually went into the swoon theory and the empty tomb theory and, and shared some of the naturalistic explanations and challenges for the resurrection and responded to them. And, you know, that's, I think that's a rare, you know, that's, that's the, you know, yes. the few cases that the, those things are happening. But, you know, when it comes to kind of raising kids and what maybe how I was raised or how other people were raised and, you know, knowing a lot of Bible stories, what would you say maybe are some positives and negatives of teaching, you know, the Bible stories versus answering objections and giving the evidence, you know, you know, is that, Obviously, you're writing these books to say that's not enough, right? We should be doing more and there's other conversations we should be having. But kind of, I don't know, where's the kind of the balance between that of, you know, there are, there's a benefit to knowing stories, but why do we need more? Yeah, exactly. Well, when I break down what it means to teach kids apologetics, you know, for example, at an apologetics conference or something where everyone's coming in very passionate, yes, we want to teach apologetics. The question still remains, well, what exactly does that look like? Because there is a balance of these different areas of knowledge, which is what you're getting to here. So I break it down into four areas. The first one is what Christianity teaches. And that's really what you're saying. You know, the, the stories of the Bible, what does the Bible say? This is extremely important because you can never actually defend what you can't define. Hmm. And so we have to be able to help our kids really thoroughly and deeply and accurately understand Christianity. And I say all of those descriptors because a lot of times parents think, yes, I am teaching my kids about Christianity, but they don't realize that they're giving them kind of this surface level understanding. You know, maybe they, their kids will graduate like I did after hundreds of hours of church and know that Jesus died for my sins, that I've accepted him as my savior. Someday I'm gonna go to heaven. I'm gonna be a pretty good person between now and then. Maybe they understand those basics and those are important basics. I'm not saying that they're not but they have to understand much more because so much of the world today is twisting and turning the teachings of the Bible. And there's so much misunderstanding where we have a very biblically illiterate culture that we're in now. And so we have to be committed to really going deeper with our kids, studying the Bible, and understanding what it says. And as a side note, the research has shown that fewer than one in 10 Christian parents actually study the Bible with their kids in a given mm. week. So even though this sounds like an obvious point, I always feel kind of silly pointing it out. Yes, we need to read the Bible with our kids kids, but I have to point it out because statistics show that very few Christian parents are actually doing it. Yeah. So that is the starting point is what does Christianity teach? But then beyond that is why we should believe it. And yeah. that's really, to me, that's the, the where kids get the value from of Christianity, where they start to understand, wow, this is something that I should cherish. We could do that first step of understanding what any religion teaches from an objective stance. You know, we could learn what Mormonism teaches, Christianity teaches, Islam teaches. We can learn all of that just to know what a religion says. But that second part of why we should believe it, that's where kids will really start to understand this is worth living for. This yeah. is is worth caring about. And if we don't go to that step, 
then we're just teaching them a set of facts about one particular worldview without giving them any reason to care. So those are the first two parts of it. But then the third part is understanding what other people believe. So this is learning about other worldviews. You know, what what does atheism look like? What are are the logical implications of that worldview? And what does Mormonism look like? And what are the implications of that? So that's just objectively looking at other religions, other worldviews. And finally, what are the challenges? What are the challenges that Christians will receive from each of those worldview perspectives. So that's how I look at it. It's kind of this basket approach of those four areas. And they're all important and they're integrally related if we're going to raise kids to really have a deep understanding of their faith. Yeah. And I love what you said there about this idea that, you know, they can grow up in learning the Bible stories. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people share their testimony, share their story of knowing the Bible stories. But what you brought up is knowing how people twist it knowing how people challenge it, knowing that when you get to, you know, you're, you know, you, you hear about all these Bible stories of Jesus walking on water and parting the Red Sea and all this kind of stuff. And then you get to your college class and, you know, someone holds to naturalism that there's a natural explanation for everything. Miracles are ridiculous and start presenting the Bible as fairy tale stories. It's like, okay, when someone right. challenges the very core of, you know, yeah, you, okay, cool. You believe all these stories. Now these are all ridiculous. There's no evidence for right. them natural explanation for everything. These are not scientifically provable. Now, what do you do? Right. And so I think that's the important point is if we want them to continue to hold on to this faith and to continue believing these stories actually are true historical events that took place, there need to be some responses and showing some of those challenges and ways that people twist it. And so, you know, in your books, then you've written three of these books. So, you know, I think that's important to talk about the why we're doing this, but then also kind of why have you written these books? Yeah, so the theme throughout all of my books is sort of what we've been talking about here. It's that there are certain conversations that parents really need to be having with their kids given the specific challenges that they're going to encounter today. And those are not necessarily the same things that they hear about in church. Like I was saying earlier, a lot of are very far behind the on this in terms of identifying that the world has changed a lot. According to research, people who hold to a biblical worldview are now in a minority, and that's going to have a lot of implications for the way that we teach our kids. And so it really became my passion after what happened to me through my blogging experience and encountering these issues for the first time, even after all these hundreds of hours of church, that I wanted parents to see these are the challenges that are out there. And I often use the analogy of Mount Everest. If you know your kid is going to go and climb Mount Everest, eventually, then you're going to make sure that they're training specifically for that mountain experience. You're not going to just have them do whatever feels comfortable to you or, uh, you know, do a a couple of jumping jacks and say, well, you know, you're in pretty good shape. You're going to make it. You're going to know that's a really big challenge and that you have to train specifically for it or else you're going to die trying. And so in the same way, I think that's how we have to approach our kids' faith is to understand these challenges are enormous today. There are lots of people who are making a mockery of Christianity. And if your kids don't know, why there's good reason to stand firmly where they are, they're just going to walk away because it's a lot easier. So that's really what my books are designed to do is to, number one, equip parents with an understanding of the questions today. So between the three books, there are a hundred of those questions. Each book has a different focus. And then number two, within the chapters, to give you an easy to understand response about each of those. And of course, you can go and read much more. I have lots and lots of endnotes in my books, but it's to give you a jumping off point of the most important things that you should understand to start having those conversations with your kids. Yeah, no, that's good. And I wanted you to kind of touch on that and you kind of mentioned it. But I, I, one thing I love about the book, and you can maybe expand on this if you want to, is, is the balance, I think, of 
giving parents information, the content, the need to know, hey, here's the evidence for the resurrection, right? And these are things that you should know in order to have this conversation with your kid, but then also bringing in that practical, here's how to have the conversation. So how, how have you kind of laid out that balance throughout your books of the content, need to know the things, and then also the practical, how to actually implement this with your kids? Yeah. So my first book, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, that was almost 100% of what to know. And that book is really an apologetics 101 for Christian okay. parents. It just kind of lays out 40 different really important faith challenges that you should understand. And after I wrote that book, I had so many parents who were saying, oh, this was so helpful. And I learned so much from this, but I keep getting tongue tied when I'm actually trying to talk with my kids, you know, about this. Do you have any other guidance on that? And so I really took that feedback and for the next two books, the this mini series, talking with your kids about God and talking with your kids about Jesus, each one of those books has a conversation guide after every single chapter. Yeah. So you read four or five pages of content and then you have key points and a full conversation guide that takes you step by step through these these conversation starters. And I designed the conversation guide with a flow in mind for parents who have kids of ages because the idea is not just that you're gonna sit down and have a thousand conversations with your kids suddenly it's that these are starting points that you can have conversations over time that the first question is just a really easy open the conversation type of question if you have a really young kid who's five or six years old then maybe that's the only question that you ask just to get them thinking about the subject and maybe you just respond with a couple of points you learned from the chapter and then over time maybe you revisit that in a few months and you, you ask them the next question and you talk about a little bit more so it yeah. gives parents the flexibility of using this as a long-term kind of resource really yeah. but that's that's how I modified those two books to really help parents give more of that how-to understanding so that they can get the content out of their head and into conversation with their kids absolutely right as you mentioned kind of broken up into getting this conversation started here's more advanced conversations and then you know here's how to kind of apply it um, now one thing you mentioned I think is is good as well is that when we are preparing our, our students with the challenges that they're gonna face with the reasons and the evidence I think one thing is you talked about is it will help them not walk away. My mind also comes from kind of the missionary perspective in my years as a missionary thinking missionary training and missionary schools is when you're going to go off into another culture. You, you study the culture, you learn about that culture so that you can relate to them and, and make an impact in their life. Right. And I think that as us, as, as Christians, if our goal is to, you know, the great commission to go make disciples and we are making disciples in an increasingly secular culture, the more that we can learn about the secular arguments and objections and reason, then the better that makes our students to go out and be evangelists, to be able to have and interact with their friends, not just to keep them in Christianity, but to also help bring other people into Christianity by hopefully our kids going out and having better conversations uh, with their friends. And so I'm just curious if uh, in the writing of these books and in the responses you've heard from readers, if there are any stories of parents kind of doing with their kids and then their kids actually having conversations with their friends and being able to kind of make a defense uh, for the hope that's in them and kind of give reasons for why they're Christians. Yeah, I've actually heard that quite a few times, which is a wonderful kind of feedback to get. And yeah. a lot of times parents will say, oh, this this conversation happened at just the right time because then my child was, you know, talking to a friend at school who said that, you know, they don't believe in God, they believe in science. And we had just had this conversation about how, you know, even with science, science explains the natural world, but there still has to be this intelligence behind it. And here are some reasons. I've heard a lot of stories like that, which always delights me. Uh, but what you said is so true about being a missionary to this culture. 
culture. And I think that's what a lot of times parents who maybe haven't come to a full appreciation of apologetics yet don't realize, because sometimes I hear this objection that, well, I just want to teach my kids what's true. I'm not going to worry about all this other stuff. I just want to teach them the truth and that's all that they're going to need. But I think that's a huge mistake. And that's why I like to break it down. Like I described earlier between what Christianity teaches, why I believe it, what other people believe and the challenges that you receive. Those last two parts are so important because their kids don't grow up in a bubble. And I think they have a much greater uh, value for what they believe when they start to look at these other worldviews and say, okay, well, what is the evidence for the truth of this worldview? What's the evidence for the truth of this one over here? And then when they see all of these put together, they can start to look at it and appreciate Christianity even more for just realizing how well evidenced our faith is. So not only is it important for engaging with culture, but it's important for being convicted of the truth that you want to teach your kids when they see all the other options or alternatives, if you want to call it, that are out there. Yeah, that's good. Now, you know, as we're kind of talking through this, really trying to look at the practical and, you know, what we should be doing as parents and what parents should be doing and how to train our kids in this first part. And then kind of towards the end of our discussion, we'll be kind of getting into some of the specifics and looking at some of the questions more specifically. But, you know, one question that can be asked a couple different ways, and actually it came in uh, from my dad, but it's kind of like, what is the role of spiritual development with the parent? Um, you know, how much is the parent's responsibility? How much is the church's responsibility? You know, my dad sent in here if, you know, you know, what do parents do if their Christian school or their youth group is not teaching apologetics, not giving these reasons? Um, you know, do we say, well, the, it's the school's job uh, or is it only the parent's job or, you know, should the parents be encouraging the school? Kind of what is, how does the school, let's say Christian school or maybe just the church, how does the church and parents kind of work together in training up kids? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that every parent needs to come to this with a couple of uh, assumptions. Number one, that the church and the youth group, they're not going to be teaching your kids these things by and large, unless you have a very unusual situation. But number two, you shouldn't rely on that anyway. Even if your church were to be teaching that, we have to remember what our role is as a Christian parent. We are the primary spiritual influencer in the lives of our kids. This comes back to Deuteronomy 6, that we need to be teaching these things when we we sit down, when we walk, walk along the road, when we lie down, when we get up, all of these things I mean we are to be very proactive as yeah. disciplers of our kids. And so I think we need to take that job back on as parents much better. For too long, we've just taken our kids to church thinking, well, that's going to be the church's job. But that's not the church's job. And even if it were the church's job, the job overwhelmingly is not being done in that area by churches. So all of that brings us back to we need to be tackling this as parents. The role of the church as a body of Christ is to come alongside one another another and to worship together and to serve together and to encourage one another. And so from that perspective, I think that the church's role in terms of uh, in terms of parenting is that the church can support parents. The church can be more of that that support around the parents that comes along so that kids have other role models of faith, that kids have other opportunities to be with fellow believers. All of those things are an important part of church. It's not to say that church is not important when I say it's our responsibility as parents. It's simply to say that we have to take that on first and foremost. The church is there to support and to help, but overwhelmingly, it's not the church's role to educate our kids. It's us as parents. Yeah. And, and I, you know, that's so good because, you know, I know you, you know, Jay Warner Wallace well, and he, you know, he, you've done kind of work with him and he's promoted a lot of your stuff. And that's kind of the beginning of your ministry, right? Is a lot of work with Jay Warner Wallace. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's been a huge supporter and I appreciate that so much. Yeah. And I know he says something to the effect of like, you know, when, when parents come to him and say, Hey, I want to buy your book and can you sign it to my kid? My kid has walked away from the faith. Can you, I want to give your book to my child. You know, his response is like, no, your child doesn't need another book. He doesn't, your child doesn't need my book, right? Your child needs you. This kind of idea that the parent yeah. is the, is the most important apologist and, and kind of spiritual role model in the child's life. And in this case, yeah. the, it's a parent should that should be studying, should be learning the information, and then having those conversations with their kid rather than just buying their kid an apologetics book and saying, "Here you go, read this," you know, to a kid who's already kind of walked away. Yeah, no, it's so true, and that's actually the number one question that I get when I go out and do speaking events, and that you know, parents will ask, "Okay, I can see that this stuff is important. I I know that they need to learn apologetics. What book should I give my kids?" Yeah. <laughs> I hear that all the time. But, you know, I always have to walk a fine line when I answer the questions. I don't want to make anyone feel bad, but at the same time, I want people to know this is not the primary question we should be asking after all of this. You yeah. know, the primary question is, okay, how do I, as the parent, get better equipped with this understanding so that this can become a way of life? in our house so that this becomes the part of the ongoing conversation that we're having and that is just woven into the fabric of our lives that's what we want yeah. now that's not to take away from the place of the kids books so Jay Warner Wallace like he, he were just talking about has amazing tween books that correspond with his adult books and I'm recommending yeah. those all the time it's wonderful to be able to give our kids these kinds of resources I could not recommend them more we want to be able to give them these kinds of things and sometimes it helps for them to hear it presented in maybe a little bit of a different way than when we're just our articulating it on our own in the house. So yeah. there is absolutely a role for those resources. But we have to come back to the fact that that's a one-time kind of experience. And when you as a parent are really taking ownership of this kind of um, way of life in your house, yeah. it goes on and on and it becomes a long-term proposition rather than, oh yeah, my kids are going to learn us as this single subject right now. Yeah. You know, and that's often my encouragement too. When I have parents that'll tell me like, man, I wish my kids could take your class, right? When they, when I talk about the things that I teach my high school students and it's like, yeah, maybe your kids can't take my class, but that doesn't then mean you just don't do anything, right? What ways in which you, right. the parent, recognizing this is important, wishing your kids had this kind of information. Now, what ways and what can you do to better prepare yourself to then have these kind of conversations uh, if your kids can't be kind of in the school or the youth group or the church that you kind of want them to be? Um, so you kind of talked about here the rhythms in the home. So kind of getting to some very practical kind of rhythms, um, you know, as I mentioned at the very beginning, people are surprised often at the, the level of worldview and of world religions that I teach my high schoolers. And I go, look, it needs to start way sooner than this. So, you know, kind of at what age maybe do you start this? What are some kind of age appropriate ways in which you teach kids? And then what are some kind of recommended ways in which, you know, you do this in your house? Yeah, so I think that's another really big question that I get asked. Parents often wonder, yeah. well, okay, so how early should I start that if I realize this is important? And what I really want to encourage parents to, to see this as is it's not something that you add on to your teaching. It's a way of how you talk about faith. And so from that perspective, all those areas I talked about earlier, what Christianity teaches and why you should believe it, what other people believe and the challenges that you'll face, those are all things that can be incorporated into how you talk about Jesus from the time your kids are little, from when they're preschoolers, and and they're, they're very small. And it just is a way of learning this yourself so that when you understand the types of questions, the types of things you're going to be talking about, 
can find ways to integrate them to your conversations. So I can give you a couple of examples of that. Yeah. Little kids often ask, well, how do I know that God is there, right? This yeah. is a question that even three-year-olds, four-year-olds ask. They say, well, I can't touch God. How do I know he's actually there? Okay, well, some parents would probably just look at that and say, well, the Bible tells us so, right? But if you're apologetically minded and you're thinking about this with the long-term view in mind and you want to give your kids a certain way of thinking more critically about their faith, that's the opportunity where you can say, oh, well, just because you can't see God doesn't mean that he's not there. He has given us a lot of evidence so that we can know he's there. One thing God does not ask us to do is to just kind of close our eyes and guess and hope that he's there. That's not what our Christian faith is about at all. He has given us this evidence. And so then, and I had this conversation with my kids when they were very little like this, and I can actually still remember that conversation today. And I told them, I said, you know what? One thing I want to make sure of as your mom is that when you grow up, I never want you to believe in Jesus just because I did. I never want you to say, I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home. That's not what God wants. That's not what I want. I want you to know that God has given us lots and lots and lots of ways for us to know that he is is there and that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and that we can trust in him and my job as your parents to teach you those ways over time. And I remember that conversation really clearly from one day when my kids were really little and I think that it just set the foundation for how we were going to be talking about our faith in our house. And you know, and then you can go on with the examples that little kids can understand. I give quite a few of these in my books especially on this topic of how do I know God's there? My last book, Talking With Your Kids About God, goes into this a lot. And you know, I give the example that we had an ant farm at one point that my kids had begged for. And against my better judgment, to get this thing and supposedly everything about the ant farm was supposed to be sufficient for what they needed to survive this blue gel stuff. And within a couple of days, all the ants had died. And it is this great opportunity to talk about how all living things require certain conditions for life. And just like the ants didn't have what they needed in order to live, we have to have certain things in order to live on our planet Earth. And that gave me the opportunity to talk about how our planet is just the right distance from the sun. So it's not too hot. It's not too cold. We can have water as we need to live. All these things can easily be talked about with young kids. It's not a matter of let's wait till they're 17 so we can have a very in-depth conversation about the fine-tuning of the universe. <laughs> it's let's talk about these things from the time they're little so they start to realize, yeah, God never asked us for a blind faith. And here are all the types of things that we can learn about. And, e and when we talk about the resurrection with Easter, for example, it's not just, yes, Jesus was raised from the dead today. It's Jesus was raised from the dead today. And thank God we have such good evidence for that we can be so convicted of the truth that we have the hope of eternal life through him. Yeah. Here's how we know. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I really talk about in talking with your kids about Jesus. I have uh, 12 chapters between looking more in depth at the death of Jesus and what does it mean that he died for our sins and how do we know that the resurrection really happened. So that's kind of a, a long answer to that question, but I, I hope it's helpful to parents in thinking about this from a perspective of this is not like your elective. <laughs> it's not, you know, a high school elective to add on to your faith it's part of your faith yeah. we believe some really extraordinary things as christians and we should be the first ones to admit that we think that a guy came back to life from the dead and that proved that he was god and he did lots of miracles that we've never seen with our own eyes these are extraordinary things it should just be an automatic no-brainer that as we're teaching our kids <laughs> the what of the faith that we're saying and here's why you should actually believe that that's true yeah because if we're not i think we've lost perspective on just how extraordinary 
the Christian claims are. Yeah. And sometimes it really is just kind of adding a little bit on to what we're already saying. Right. And, and that opens up the ability then to have sometimes a deeper conversation. You know, I think just, um, I don't know, a couple months ago before all this lockdown stuff happened, I was out umpiring a baseball game and uh, a guy started asking me what I do. And I said, I teach and blah, blah, blah. And I started telling him and, and he goes, OK, so you're religious. And I said, yeah. And he goes, do you think there's an afterlife? And rather than just saying, yes, I do. Uh, and ending the conversation there, I said, yes, I do. And I think there's good reason to believe there is one. And he went, okay. Right. And, and then, that's all I said. And then he goes, okay, give me a good reason. And, you know, <laughs> and so, and I gave him a reason I'd never thought about before. You know, I normally give many other reasons, but for this time, I didn't know why I said, um, I said, well, I think one good reason to believe that there's life after death is because of near death experiences. And his first response was my dad had one of those. And I was like, tell me, mm. tell me about it. And it began, and it was very cool. And rather than just saying, yeah, I believe in an afterlife end of conversation it was i believe in one and there's good reason too and then it was okay yeah. like, hey, start giving me those reasons and so sometimes it's just adding maybe a little bit more as you kind of mentioned of here's what jesus you know died for the our sins and here's why we know it to be true i uh, can foster those kind of conversations so you also kind of mentioned this isn't something that you know you have to add on at all these times so kind of what it would be kind of the family rhythm for this do you do it over dinner do you have a special time after church on sunday to talk about what the kids learned in sunday school you know how does this kind of work out in your family yeah, well, I kind of think of it in two ways that you have to create moments and use moments. So that's the the distinction that I use. And I think teachable moments, it's kind of a buzz term that a lot of parents like to use, you know, oh, teachable moments. I want to make sure that we're using those. And that is really important. And we want to identify those moments as they come along where it's like, oh, this is a perfect time to talk about this. And that's great. But what a lot of parents miss is that if you're not equipped with an understanding of what these challenges are today and the kinds of conversations that are being had between skeptics and Christians, you're not going to identify the teachable moment in the first place. Yeah. Maybe you identify some of the more obvious things that just have to do with Christianity in general, but maybe you're not going to actually notice a really interesting because you didn't even know the thing. So just to give you an example, my son right now is building this little robot. He's 11 and uh, he got a robot recently that you put together and then you can program it from an app on uh, on a tablet of some kind. And so he put together the robot and he's programming the app. And, you know, if you're never thinking about apology kind of stuff, it's like that's the end of the story. My son built a cool robot. But yeah. immediately I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, oh, this is such a great opportunity to talk to him about the fact that this robot is doing some really interesting intelligent, cool things. He's the one who programmed it. But would you ever just look at the robot and think, yeah, that we don't need anything to explain the robot. I can just explain everything about how the robot works and there didn't need to be a mind behind it. We would never think that. We look at the robot and we know that there was a programmer. There was somebody behind it. There was an intelligent mind. And so, and the same thing when he's, I, I like to use the example of marble mazes. My son loves building marble mazes too. We've had that conversation before. You can explain how the marbles go down and all the physics behind it, but that doesn't take away the need for an intelligence behind it yeah. to have actually made it work in that way. So those everyday kinds of conversations, they're wonderful when they come up as teachable moments, but they're not going to be identified in the first place if you as the parent parent don't have the understanding. So sometimes parents say, I just don't see all these opportunities in my day-to-day -day life. You know, I give these examples in my presentations and stuff and they're like, gosh, I just never noticed these things. You will, you absolutely will 
once you start reading, once you start listening to podcasts and reading books, you you will get those. So that's the first thing is just identifying the teachable moments. But the second thing is to create your own moments. And that can be at any time. But I think what's important here is to understand that not everything your kids need to understand about their faith is going to neatly come up in a teachable moment. So we can't just rely on those. You know, your kids might not for example, um, you know, they might never come across something about the Bible and slavery and whether or not the Bible supports slavery, but that's something they're going to hear about eventually. So you as the parent need to be the one who knows what they need to learn about so that you can bring it to them proactively and say, hey, this is something that we should talk about. And there are lots of ways to do that depending on the ages of your kids. You know, it could be something that you do, throw out a conversation starter over dinner one night. It can be something that you, you know, that you find a way, that you craft a way to bring up. Uh, They're just so many ways to do it. But I do think that parents have to be mindful of that. It's not just a matter of finding teachable moments. It's also, you know what, we've never really talked about whether or not the disciples lied, for example, about the resurrection. And that just hasn't neatly come up. So let's let's talk about that today and just throw it out to your kids, maybe over dinner saying, what would you say to somebody, a friend, if they came along and said, I think that the disciples just made this up see what your kids say, and then have that conversation. Yeah. So we do have to be mindful of what our kids know, just like we would with any academic subject. We don't wait for our kids to ask about World War II. We bring it to them. We teach them about it in school because we know it's important. Yeah. It's the same with faith. Yeah, and the more that we learn about these topics, then you know, the more you know as a parent the challenges that your kids are going to face, then you know you know how to kind of bring those up, I think, in the conversation. So you you know they hear something in Sunday school or at church or, or whatever it may be, and then you already know, okay, the pastor talked about this. Here's a challenge I know might be brought up. And then you just bring up the challenge and say, hey, what would you say about this, exactly. kids? You know, and, and that's an easy way. And then I, again, as you kind of pointed out, and I love it, is, you know, identifying those teachable moments. And that's one thing that, you know, in my work with Maven that we do a lot of is trying to help people see the worldview behind simple things. And, you know, on the Maven trips up yeah. on the Paul Jack's trip, we take them to, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge. And rather than just taking pictures and saying, cool, the Golden Gate Bridge, we talk about, you know, think about the, the design that went into this. Think about the engineering. Think about the people in the, made in the image of God who created this, how they use God-given talents to be able to produce something to help humans and, and what that does. And we take them to the Jelly Belly factory where you get to not just say, cool, Jelly Bellies, you know, Jelly Belly bean, you know, Jelly Beans <laughs> being made, but it's like, look at the engineering that goes behind these robots robots that can sort and do all this kind of stuff. Like how cool that God has created us with these sort of abilities to, you know, and built the world in this sort of way. And so finding those teachable moments is so good. Um, what would you then say to parents who are dealing, actually, we can kind of bring this one up first. Here's another question that came in of, you know, how do you then other clues that parents can look for that show that their children are maybe walking away or drifting away from Christianity? Well, I actually wrote a blog post about this once, and it was my number one blog post, I think of all time still. It was called The Number One Sign That Your Kid is Borrowing Your Faith, Not Developing Their Own. And in that post, I talk about how I think that's not asking questions. Asking any kind of questions at all, they've checked out a little bit. Either they're not caring enough to ask questions about their faith, or they have actually decided that maybe they don't believe as you do and they're afraid to bring it up. Uh, but for whatever reason, when kids aren't asking questions, I think that that's actually a concerning sign. And so I think 
know, we have to be the ones as parents to continually look out for those things and to think about it. And also to realize that just like us as adults, kids kind of go like this in their, their spiritual lives. So it's not like, you know, when our kids haven't wanted to pray for three days, we should suddenly be like, oh my goodness, something's <laughs> happening to walk in the faith. And, and, you know, those, those times can be a lot more than three days, you know, maybe you see that weeks and that's something, an area of growth for me as a parent that I've learned over time, because I was watching like a hawk, uh, you, you know, I'm thinking these things all the time and I start to get concerned and, and then I start to realize, but you know what, this is, this is a long-term process. I don't want to let this go forever where we're just not going to talk about anything for a year, obviously, but yeah. you also don't want your kids to feel like you're always on top of them. Like, are you okay? Are you still a Christian? What do you believe? Uh, those are all really good questions to ask, but I think that we also have to give them some space and and you know be mindful of this over time. So, yeah, yeah I would point to question asking as the big one, but also to handle that um, carefully yeah. as a parent and to just be mindful that this is a long term process. So, what would you say then to a parent who's trying to handle this issue of it seems like their students walking away? Maybe they flat out say like, "I don't want to go to church with you anymore." Um, you know, I don't want to talk about Jesus when you try to bring up conversations over dinner or, or you know, try to have these natural things. Um, you know, kind of how, how should parents handle this? You know, at what maybe stage should freedom be given to the child, do you think, uh, for them to stop going to church? Or, you know, how much should be forced and how much should be okay? You don't want to talk about this. I won't bring it up anymore. Yeah, that's a complex question because a lot of it depends on the family dynamics and what's actually going on with the, the individual child. But I would start by saying that we have to do a better job, I think, as parents of distinguishing between our kids' feelings about church and our kids' feelings about Jesus and their faith in general. And I think sometimes we take their feelings about church as a proxy for everything else. And there's a, a big difference sometimes for kids between that. And I've definitely seen that in my own home, that kids don't always love, I know it's shocking, they don't always love to go to church. And there can be a whole lot of reasons behind that. I've written a blog post about that also, about some legitimate reasons why kids get bored at church because a lot of times the church isn't talking about some of these deeper questions and those are the questions they have. Maybe they're tired of hearing about Joseph and the multicolored coat and Daniel in the lion's den. They want to know why the coronavirus is happening. Yeah. You know, there so there are some really legitimate reasons why kids a lot of times don't want to go to church. Maybe they have a problem with the kids that are at church. They haven't bonded with other kids. Sometimes it can be a social thing. Sometimes it has to do with what they're teaching. So there are a lot of factors that go on with church that maybe don't even reflect a child's faith. In fact, maybe they would rather spend time with you at home doing learning, which is something that I have seen before in, in our own family is that the kids feel like, well, when we do our family Bible studies, we learn so much more than if we just go to Sunday school. Why do we have to go to Sunday school? And so this has been a, you know, a personal challenge for me, but I also know for a lot of parents because you want your kids to understand why church matters and yeah. why it's so important to be part of a body of belief. It's not just about learning. It's about worshiping. It's about gathering. It's about prioritizing yep. our time. All of those things are important. So I think that first of all, I would try to understand with, with a child in that situation, is it church that there's a, something going on with here in terms of the issue, or is this more about the child's faith in particular? Uh, sometimes they don't want to go to church because they don't believe anymore, and then we have these two issues that are kind of coinciding to address together. But uh, otherwise, you know, 
church and their faith, those can be different things. So the first thing is really to ask questions, to understand, okay, well, why don't you want to go to church? And and learn, because sometimes parents just don't take the time to hear. They're like, we're going to church because that's what we do as a family, right? (laughs) This is our rule. We're going to do it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that as long as my kids live in my house, they're going to come to church. And, you know, maybe when they get to be at the end of their teen years, we have some different discussions around that. But we also want to dig deeper to understand their feelings about it so that we can have the conversations that are needed. And for kids who don't want to talk about Jesus at all, maybe they are walking away from their faith. Again, it's really important to then ask questions and allow them to share what they believe because you're not going to be able to have good, deep, valuable conversations with your kids if you don't even know where they're coming from. You could be completely missing the mark and having less conversations about Jesus rising from the dead when they stop believing in God and don't even think that a miracle is possible in the first place. So you need to kind of understand where they are. Do they believe in God, but they don't believe in the Bible? Do they not believe in God at all? Do they believe God exists and, you know, maybe have this kind of deistic view? So learning what your kids believe is a really important starting point for that. So you can have those conversations. And in terms of how to have those conversations in a, in a case like that, once you understand what your kids believe, then it's great to be able to study, okay, well, let's say the child doesn't believe that God exists. Okay, well, let's learn more about what a naturalistic worldview would look Let's think more about what that entails. And I talk a lot about this in my second book, talking to kids about God. What are the logical implications of an atheistic, naturalistic worldview? You know, that there can be no free will, truly, that there can be no actual objection right and wrong. And talking about those things might raise to the surface some things for your kids who think they now are atheists, but hadn't really thought about some of those implications. So in my mind, what I want to do is build a home where we're always talking about the biggest picture of life, the biggest questions, and whether we're going to be studying an atheistic worldview, a Christian worldview, a Mormon worldview, whatever it is, I want my kids to be asking the big questions, whether it's about what maybe they're believing at a given time or what a specific religion teaches. Yeah, and I wonder how many people don't want maybe their kids raising those objections or asking those questions because they're nervous that maybe they don't know how to respond. And, you know, that's one thing that why in my classroom, I do a question of the day and I answer, try to answer their big questions and say, turn in anything because I want you to see like, look, we shouldn't be afraid of these questions. Christianity and smart people for the last 2000 years have answered these. Uh, We just have to go search out. And if we don't know the answer, let's find it. Um, I think it is important, though, that you also mentioned at the beginning that sometimes kids are bored with church because they've heard it all, you know, and, and I, I, it wasn't that look, just a couple summers ago, I was speaking at a summer camp and a girl said that she had been a Christian for two years and that she knew everything. And she wasn't, <laughs> she wasn't, and what broke my heart is that she wasn't saying that out of this like prideful, like I know everything I'm good. But she, after being in youth group for two years, all the messages were already on repeat. It was the same thing over and over and over. So she goes, look, I've been here two years. I'm already hearing everything on repeat multiple times. I guess I've heard everything. And it's like, man, to, to, to think that like there's this infinite God out there who has revealed himself to us and I can somehow know all things there is to know after two years. Um, it just, I think, shows sometimes the shallowness that might be there yeah. uh, with some people. Now, you know, I work at a... That's such a... 
That's such a good example of, you know, your kids don't know what they don't know yeah. until you bring it to them. Absolutely. And so until that day comes, they're just sitting there thinking, I've heard it all before. It, you know, I, I talk about in my book, too, about, the, you know, the phrase, Jesus died for my sins. Well, yes, Jesus did die for your sins. But I heard that so often growing up that it became like a slogan, practically something yeah. I just heard over and over on repeat, but hadn't really thought anything about. And then when I'm blogging and, you know, a decade ago, and suddenly people are saying, you know, that God is this bloodthirsty God and you know, all he wants is, you know, these blood sacrifices and all this. I was like, gee, you know, why does he want blood? And, you know, it, and it's like, how, how could this have all missed me completely growing up that, you know, that no one's talking about it more deeply? Like, what does it mean that Jesus died for my sins? So I point that out to parents in the introduction to that section of my book on the death of Jesus, you know, start by just saying, look, I, you might already know what it means that Jesus died for your sins, but we're going to go way deeper with it because yeah. there's so much theological richness and the Bible behind that statement alone. So, you know, tell your teenage kids, we're going to have more conversations around this. Don't assume that you already know everything there is to know about it. Yeah. And I think that you bring up a really good example of that. Yeah. And other objections of, you know, why did he have to die? Why couldn't he just say, I forgive you? Right? Why, why is a sacrifice yeah. even necessary? And then how does a sacrifice actually cover our sins, right? There's just so much more that kids, most kids that have grown up in the church and school can say, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins. Well, what does that mean? And then, you know, oftentimes yeah. you ask, so what does that mean? You're kind of met with, you know, more quietness. Now, I, man, I want to get into some examples, but I maybe one more kind of practical question. You know, I, I teach at a Christian school. Um, kids are going to be obviously hearing about Jesus at Christian school and being taught certain things that maybe the parents then can, can ask about. Um, so do you have any advice maybe for parents with kids either that are uh, homeschooled, uh, Christian school education, and then those who are in public schools? Yeah, that could be a whole, we could do a whole show around that one, you got uh, one alone. I no, think I there's, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't do it. The pressure is too great. <laughs> um, this is something actually that's been, you know, heavy on me recently. And before the whole coronavirus thing started, uh, we had decided that we're gonna start homeschooling in the fall okay. for our twins for middle school. So I have 11 year old twins who are in fifth grade, they're gonna start sixth grade in the fall. And my plan is to homeschool them at least for middle school. Okay. Um, the plan right now is to go on to a Christian high school, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And then my younger one will finish elementary school at a Christian school, which is where all of my kids have been for the last few years. And I grew up in a public school. So with that said, I have kind of, you know, had some of the, some of these comparisons front in mind. And, you know, just taking each one very, very briefly, uh, you know, with a private school, I think that unfortunately, and I'm sure you would attest to this, so many parents think, well, I, I don't have time to do all this stuff that Ryan and Natasha are talking about. So I will send my kids to a private school world where they will be surrounded by it. But the reality is the vast majority of Christian schools, and I've never heard of one that goes way, way deeper, but most of them, they give your kids a Christian environment. They have love teachers. They're going to have chapel. They're probably going to have Bible as a subject, but they're not going a lot more deep than, than you would get out of Sunday school, for example, yeah. in most of their classes. And in some cases, you know, the teachers are not, they don't have a standardized kind of education behind them in terms of all of the, what they're teaching and, and, you know, their theological background. So in some cases, the teachers might even teach things that aren't consistent with what you would hope. That, they're be, that they would be teaching. And so it's not a replacement for you is the bottom line on this. If your kids go to a Christian school, you know, praise the Lord, it's wonderful that they can be surrounded by people who share their worldview, but it doesn't mean that they're getting all this kind of in-depth training that we're talking about here. Yeah. So everything we've been talking about still applies. Yeah. When it comes to homeschool, 
obviously you have you get to you get to drive this forward you get to be the one who's deciding what they're learning and that's just a perfect opportunity and this is something i'm so excited for with our own homeschool is to just put this into their regular schedule make it part of the rhythm of their education we've actually my kids and i designed what we're going to call the blah course bible logic apologetics and worldview and uh, i just i can't wait i'm just thrilled about it (laughs) So with homeschool, you have the opportunity to do this. But again, even with most, I've been looking at tons and tons of curricula, and even with most homeschool curricula in this area, it's not necessarily going as deep as you would want. And so I hope that my resources actually can serve as a curricula for homeschoolers in a lot of way that you can just take one chapter a week and do it with your kids and have them answer questions uh, at the end. So I'm going to actually yeah. be using the book for their homeschool. When it comes to public school, I think there's a lot that parents have to consider. And I've seen over and over as parents, we live in a real good school district and a lot of times parents will leave our Christian school because they want to go to the public school and they say well it's a great education but they're not realizing how much they are pushing up against and if I ask them you know well have you read about the new California history requirements and how they're changing their framework and this and that I mean nine times out of ten when I talk to parents they are unaware they don't know what's going on so if your kids are in a public school you need to be really aware of not only what the, the curriculum is that kids are using, but also the books that they're reading. I've heard so many stories from parents about, you know, oh my gosh, I couldn't even believe it when I took a look at this book that my kid was reading for their public school classroom. Like, what is happening here? So you have to be vigilant and yeah. on top of it. I'm not saying Christians should all be pulling their kids out of public school, but I do think that if your kids are in public school for whatever reason, for, for your family's personal choice, you've got to be on top yeah. of it. And you're going to have to be prepared to especially have that radar, that worldview radar, so you can identify these things and be able to talk to your kids about them as they arise. Yeah. And you can't just send them off to public school and then come have them come home and talk about one thing or another. You have actual work to battle what they're learning at school. So, yeah, like I said, I yeah. go on about that. No, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it sounds like, you know, just in both private school and public school, it seems like just this ability for the parent to either one kind of say, hey, you're in a Christian school, you're going to be told things about Jesus and Christianity. You know, hey, what'd you learn today? And then be able to go deeper into, you know, some of the content if the school is not going as deep as maybe you like, as well as in public school. Hey, what's going on? What'd you learn today? What are they saying? And then, you know, maybe find these false ideas that are being presented that you can kind of shed some light in and kind of show, hey, here's why this fits with this worldview. Here's how this fits here. How can we kind of show the biblical worldview and the Christian approach to something that maybe you're learning? And so both of these. And, you know, I find that even parents, you know, when I first started doing parent-teacher conferences, you know, parents came in with very low expectations of what I was doing in my class. And it was like, wait, you're teaching that? And it's like, (laughs) yeah, we're going deep into this stuff. And it's like, wow, I wish I was in your class. You know, and now it's cool seeing parents where I've taught all three of their kids or something like that. And really, you know, seeing how this is changing. Uh, But even parents sometimes have very low expectations of what is being taught uh, in a Christian school. Uh, Now, wow, we only have a few more minutes left. And, um, you know, so definitely uh, people need to get this book and to check out some of the very specific questions. But let's give maybe one or two examples. Um, Considering it was just Easter and, you know, we kind of brought up this idea of why did Jesus die? You know, how, how do we have this conversation with our students, you know, about like, why does it matter if Jesus was actually resurrected. Why why the resurrection? Can he just die for our sins? Why why is the resurrection important? How would you go about having this conversation with kids? 
Yeah, I think this is one of the most important conversations that we can have, actually, and it gets skipped over so often, even amongst, you know, apologetics books. I noticed that a lot of times we go straight to evidence for the resurrection, but we haven't stopped to ask, well, why should we care so much? And so I started that section of the book with that question, because I think this is the foundation that kids really have to have uh, before we talk about evidence. And, you know, Paul gives us the truth test for Christianity in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, when he says that if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is in vain. And so this is the starting point for these conversations with my kids that we've talked about many times. You know, you'll hear people who say, well, I don't I'm not a Christian because, you know, I haven't seen a modern day miracle or I'm not a Christian because God hasn't revealed himself personally to me in the way that I'd like. Or I'm not a Christian because I wasn't healed in this way. I want my kids to understand we've had this conversation many times that the truth test for Christianity specifically is whether or not Jesus was raised from the dead. All those other things are important questions and they're interesting questions and they're relevant, but they do not come back to whether or not Christianity is true. And the reason that Paul would say that if Christ has not been raised, our faith is in vain, is that Jesus predicted that he would be raised from the dead. He said that he must suffer and die and that he would rise again in three days. If Jesus didn't actually come back to life from the dead, he didn't conquer death. He wasn't who he said he was. And we would be putting our trust in someone who failed to do the very things that he said that he would. So we have to understand that all this stuff when people say, you know, well, Jesus was a great moral teacher. Well, he was no teacher worth listening to if he didn't do what he said that he would do in terms of coming back to life from the dead. It validated that he was who said he was, that he was God himself. And if Jesus was God himself, then we can trust in what he has promised. We can trust in what he said about us having eternal life if we have put our trust in him. And that makes all the difference in the world. That's so good. And, you know, your conversation here in the book, uh, as it opens up, you know, how to open up the conversation. So, hey, you're we just celebrated Easter Sunday. You know, this is probably fresh in people's minds. You know, maybe tonight sitting down with your kids and saying, hey, if a friend asked you what it means when people say Jesus was resurrected, how would you explain what a resurrection is? You know, you know, you might, you know, some people ask, well, is it spiritual resurrection? Does it have to be physical resurrection? Right. That, that gets into much deeper theology that hopefully we're encouraging our, our students to think about. And so that's the question here in yeah. kind of how to open up the conversation of how would you explain what it means that Jesus resurrected and what is a resurrection? You know, how did that actually work? Uh, and that can definitely lead into this. Now, what about maybe a, an older student then who is maybe in junior high or high school and, and, you know, they tell a friend or something that they're a Christian and then their friend responds and says, you know, well, Christians are so judgmental. You know, they're always judging everyone. You know, Jesus told us not to judge others. And then they come to you and say, mom, what am I supposed to do? You know, my friend said Christians are judging and, you know, and they're always judgmental, but Jesus said, don't judge. Yeah, so the whole second section of the book, I have six chapters on the teachings of Jesus, and I focus on six different teaching topics that are so often misunderstood today by both skeptics and Christians. And this subject of judging is one of those that we encounter all the time. I mean, if you have any kind of interaction with people on social media, whether it's with other Christians or with non-believers, at some point when you say something is sinful, someone's going to come along and say, hey, stop judging. You know, I'm leaving this one to God. Uh, But so in this chapter, 
chapter, I break this down to help parents and kids understand that Jesus doesn't tell us not to judge. In Matthew 7, 1, he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And people like to extract that with razor-like precision. But you have to keep reading. You have to look at the context, which is a great exercise for our kids to do to understand you know, appropriate Bible reading. We don't just pick a verse out. If you continue to read what Jesus says, that was a prelude to a warning about not judging hypocritically. You know, don't try to take the speck out of someone else's eye when you have a plank in your own eye. And he goes on and he talks about judging with right judgment. It's not saying we shouldn't be judging at all. In fact, we are called over and over to discern what is right and what is wrong. Discernment is a good thing. We are not called to condemn another or to pass a final sentence on their life. That alone, that authority, that role belongs to God. But as believers, absolutely, we are called to both judge sin rightly with both truth and love and also doctrine. We are not supposed to just sit around and all agree for the sake of unity. Unity is only meaningful when it's unity around truth. And so we have to be in a position where we're willing to speak up and say, this is what the Bible says, and to be able to talk about that graciously with others. Their people. That's so good. So yes, judging is good when we do it the way that the Bible says. <laughs> yeah, and it's, we need to make good judgments, and it's making good judgments is what keeps us alive. And you know, and so sometimes thinking about some of those examples where we do make good judgments, and people don't have any problem uh, problem with that. So all right, well, we got about two minutes left. Um, so maybe kind of finish up. Um, you know, I just really appreciate this time, and so hopefully this has been encouraging to those listening and the parents. That hopefully it's not overwhelming, but maybe finish with a, an encouragement to parents out there who want to do this with their kids. And then if you have kind of recommended resources and uh, apologetics or books or resources for teaching kids, you know, I have all of Natasha's information below. So her blog, her Facebook, her Twitter and Instagram and everything. So you can definitely follow her and continue to receive uh, encouragement from her. But kind of what would you say is kind of maybe, you know, final word of encouragement and then some resources for parents listening? Yeah, I'd say that the best encouragement that I can give someone is just to take one step. You know, if you're watching this and you haven't been doing a lot of stuff, maybe it seems overwhelming, but everything begins with that single step forward. So don't feel like you have to become a master of everything immediately. You want to just decide, okay, I'm going to learn something. So, you know, pick a podcast that you're going to listen to regularly. That's one step forward. And then you start incorporating some of that into the conversations with your kids or, you know, pick up a book that you, that you want to read or, uh, Uh, you know, sign up to uh, subscribe to a YouTube channel, whatever the case may be, pick one thing you're going to do, whatever the best way is for you to learn personally, and just commit to doing that over the long term and continually add to that understanding. Your kids can learn alongside with you. It's not a matter of I'm going to learn everything. Now I'm going to read 500 books and then we'll have some conversations. It's I'm going to start to learn. And as I'm learning, I'm going to be discussing with my kids. So don't feel like you have to be an expert. You just want to be a knowledgeable guide. And in in terms of other resources, if you actually go to my website, natashacrane.com, and go to the resources tab, I have over 50 recommendations there that are all laid out by reading plan. So Perfect. if you want to learn more about the evidence for God's existence, I give you my five, my best five books that I think in terms of everything that I read over the last few years. Yeah, you read this one, then this, then this, then this to take you deeper into it. If you want to read about age of the earth and evolution questions, here's another five book reading plan. So you can find those all on my website under resources. Perfect. Natasha, thank you so much for spending this time and just encouraging the parents here to really take the spiritual formation of their children seriously.
Yeah, thanks so much, Ryan. It's been fun talking. All right. Thank you so much for all those of you who are watching. As always, you can subscribe, check out new uh, conversations and videos that are coming out this Thursday. I'm going to be talking to Tyler Ellis. He sat down with a lot of skeptics and had uh, conversations, uh, great conversations with skeptics. So we're going to be talking about how to talk to skeptics. And then as well, you can follow on social media as well as get updates and interact with speakers and uh, send in future questions for videos and whatnot. So thank you all so much for watching. I pray this has been an encouragement to you and definitely, definitely go down below in the description and check out all of Natasha's information. Follow her and subscribe and continue to grow in your knowledge of who Jesus is, as well as helping your kids, grandkids, or students who are under you to develop that knowledge as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you guys later with more videos. Don't hesitate to follow